The scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Jesus is calling you to a greater life. And that sounds pretty fantastic, doesn't it? Jesus is calling you to a greater life. And I I want you to know what that means. It means that Jesus is calling you on from where you are right now. So wherever you are, whatever your station is, Jesus has greater things in mind for you. What I want you to do this day is to kind of kind of search your mind a little bit and to think about the things that you have, to think about think about the home that you woke up in this morning. Jesus wants you to have more. Think about the job that you're going to be home from on Monday. Jesus wants you to have more. He wants you to have more prestige. He wants you to have more money. In fact, what you need to do is to visualize this in your head. You need to visualize that greater thing, that greater thing that Jesus is calling you to. You need to visualize it, and you need to know that in that vision, God is promising it to you. When you know what that promise is, when you visualize that in your life, then understand what God wants you to do is to lay claim to that promise. To say, this is mine. And then God wants you to live it. To live that promise every day of your life. That you would know God wants you to have a greater life. After all, Jesus himself said, Jesus' words, John chapter 10, verse 10, the Son of Man came that you might have life to the full. That's the full life that he's calling you to. It's greater than what you're living right now. It's greater than the the humdrum stuff that you're doing right now. God wants you to have more. Jesus is calling you to a greater life. Visualize it, claim it, and live it. Listen to what Jesus says. In fact, he doesn't just talk about it in John chapter 10, verse 10. He talks about what it means to be his followers. He talks about it all throughout the New Testament. In fact, John chapter 16. Listen to what Jesus says about the one who would be his disciple. Whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And that is a greater life. That's what Jesus calls his disciples to. I saw the puzzled looks on your faces. First service, I thought someone was actually going to come assault me. (laughs) Jesus doesn't call us to wealth. 
or to a greater house or to more prestige. God may give those things, but never at the expense of eternity. In fact, what we learn from the scriptures is that being a disciple and living the greater life to which Jesus calls us isn't about earthly stuff at all. In fact, what Jesus tells us is that as we follow him, life oftentimes is not going to get better, but worse. That's the calling which Jesus makes on each one of our lives. That's, that's what he wants us to lay claim to and to live every single day of our lives. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So do you still want to be a disciple? It's something that the disciples themselves wrestled with. They wrestled with that in their, in their early understanding of who Jesus was. Remember, last week, Victor reminded us of the words which Peter spoke when Jesus said, who do you say that I am, right? That was Jesus' question. Who do you say that I am? And do you remember the disciples' response? You can say it. Some say Elijah. Others say John the, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? And he, and he rejoices with him. Congratulations, Simon. This wasn't revealed to you by human beings, but was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Now live this, right? That's what he told him. And now we understand that the disciples still didn't get what that meant. They understood these titles. He was the Christ. He was the anointed one of God, the one that God sent to fulfill and accomplish his purposes. That he was the son of the living God, but Peter and the other disciples still were thinking glory in their minds and still thinking that Jesus might be the one who would go and overthrow the Romans and restore the Israelites and give Israel back the crown that deserved. They would once again be the golden age, be the golden age of Israel. They still understood it from a worldly perspective. And so Jesus had to continue to instruct them. In fact, this is what it says. This is the part that I skipped in John chapter 16. Jesus, from that time on, began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, where he would suffer at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. They would put him to death. And on the third day, he would be raised again. Now, we hear that third day be raised again, and it makes sense to us, right? We go, see, Jesus is telling about the resurrection. Why don't they get it? They don't get it because they've never experienced it. They haven't experienced anything like this before. And so in their minds, the reason why they're always filled with grief after Jesus says these things is they think Jesus is going to be killed and three days later, the revolution will take place and we'll do it all in Jesus' name. And it will be like he was better than being here because we'll have a name by which we can fight. We'll have a purpose and we can say, you know, we'll do this in the name of Jesus. And in that way he will live forever. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. In fact, Jesus was explaining to them this course of action of what would happen to him of what would happen to him as Christ, the son of the living God. He was explaining to them what his calling and purpose, what his true anointing was in the world, and it was that he had come to suffer and to die for all. He had come to be a sacrifice. He has come to open the way through that sacrifice to greater life. 
Well, when Peter hears this, in his misunderstanding, he, to his credit, takes Jesus off to the side. Did you notice that detail? He takes Jesus off to the side, and he says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Now, I think Peter should be commended for this, right? Because I want to believe that if Jesus was here, that I would defend him to the nth degree. I want to believe that I would do just what Peter does. It's admirable. No, Jesus, I'll fight on your behalf. I'll do whatever I can. Never, Lord, This will never happen to you. And what we understand is that the disciples don't seem all that interested in the suffering stuff. But really, who is? It's a lot easier for us to think of a walk of discipleship as being one where we're never inconvenienced. It's a lot easier for us to think of our discipleship walk as being one that involves our own path one that involves our own wants and our own desires, the one that makes our lives easier. But when Jesus starts talking about suffering, it starts to kindle something inside of us, that rebellious nature that says, I'm not really sure that I want that. We can almost hear in Peter's rebuke, Peter saying, I only want to sign up for the good stuff. I don't want any of that bad stuff to happen, not to you, and certainly not to me. And so Jesus has a stern rebuke for Peter. The stern rebuke says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Just a few days before, he had commended him for his faith, and now he's calling him Satan. And we have to understand what's happening. You see, it was Jesus who spoke the words, I've come that they might have life and life to the full. But you know the context? The context was of Satan who comes to kill and steal and destroy The context is very similar to the context of Jesus speaking here and rebuking Peter. No, Peter, you have in mind the things of the world and not godly things. I will not be robbed of them. Get behind me. You are a stumbling block. Those are the words that Jesus speaks. Peter is thinking of things not from a godly perspective, but from a human perspective. And Jesus then goes on to speak these words. Whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Again, put it in context, right? This is Matthew chapter 16. This is the middle of the gospel of Matthew. So what hasn't happened yet? The cross, right? That's the easy one. The cross hasn't happened yet. Right, so when Jesus says, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me, they're not thinking of this cross. They're not thinking of the cross on which Jesus died. That hasn't happened yet. Instead, they're thinking of the cross, which is the execution place for political prisoners of Rome. They're thinking of the place where justice is enacted, which is often injustice. They're thinking of the place where Romans enacted publicly a display of what would happen if you went against them. The cross is a place of punishment. That's all they know about it. And so Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. You have to think of things from a godly perspective, and that's going to put you in opposition to the world. And as a result, you're going to have to be willing to suffer punishment. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. Follow me down this path. 
Put it back in its context. Peter says to him, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turns and rebukes him, says, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block. You don't have in mind godly things, but earthly things. And now Jesus, with his response, saying this is what comes of disciples, is turning and saying this. He's saying this is not only going to happen to me, this is going to happen to you. The suffering stuff that you don't want is the stuff that's going to come about for my sake. I think a lot of things went through the disciples' minds when they watched Jesus die on the cross. But I think on that Friday and that Saturday, as the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus came back to them, I think that this one was in their foremost forefront of their minds. Where having seen him die on the cross, they said, that is what this means? It means that I... I might have to suffer this kind of punishment. And as those words echoed in their heads, then think of the wonder of what happens next. That Jesus' very words are fulfilled. That his death wasn't only to bring about a revolution where three days later he would live through their cause, but that three days later he was actually alive. That they could actually see him and hear his voice, that here he was resurrected in the flesh, that Jesus was actually present and brought back to life. And you could picture them again saying, oh, you mean this is what that meant? And to understand now that this changed everything for them, that it recast all the words which Jesus said when he said, whoever wants to lose their life for my sake will find it. And understand, they understand in this moment what it means to say that God is a God who brings life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that God is calling them to a greater life. But he's calling them in this unique way. The picture is completed that they understand that Jesus is calling them through sacrifice and suffering to a greater life, to a paradise which is opened eternally. And so we learn things from both of these events for what it means for us in our discipleship walk to know that Jesus is still calling us forward, that he's still calling us to bear our cross, understanding that if we deny ourselves, it means that we can't seek the things of the world. What's he teaching us? There's more to a greater life than the stuff you experience here on earth. That as we follow Jesus, it means that we might not get a better job and we might not get more money and we might not get a bigger house and we might not get a better car. In fact, it means that all that stuff could even be taken from us because there's more to life than the things of this life. And it even means that there's more to life than life. I love the Bible verse from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It pictures the saints around the throne of God, and it says this. It says, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's what God calls us to do. That's who God calls us to be. Ones who are willing in love to demonstrate love. 
Ones who are called in love to demonstrate life eternal in the name of Jesus. Ones who have a godly perspective, not an earthly perspective. Ones who understand and can see in the midst of suffering and sacrifice that God is still calling us. And so he's calling us to do and to be about the work of God in this life. It means he's calling us to do the work of an evangelist. I hope you've had the opportunity to share your faith with somebody in your life. And I hope, and, and I know this is unique because, you know, we, there's all the sociology of religion stuff and the, often say it takes seven times of hearing the gospel for someone to eventually come to receive it. And so you might be number three in the list and you never knew it. But I pray that at some point you've had the opportunity to be number seven, if that is true. But you've been there as, as the gospel lights came on for somebody. But you experienced that moment of faith they began to understand that the God of the universe loves them. The God of the universe would love them so much that he would give Jesus not only to forgive them of their sins, but to bring them to be with him eternally. Because in that moment, you understand why all of this is worthwhile. You understand what God is doing to draw sons and daughters to himself, that God wants all to experience this, and that, that whatever the cost we would understand that that is a greater life. Jesus still calls us. And as he calls us, brothers and sisters, he calls us to be his disciples. Now, you also might say this day, I'm not very good at this discipleship thing. Neither were the first disciples. They weren't so good at it at first either. But they understood, even in their failures, it was precisely for this reason that Jesus had come. That Jesus had come to call them through his sacrifice. That he had called them forgiven. That he had called them his. That he had called them now out into the world. And to know this wonderful and profound truth. That Jesus calls us through sacrifice and through suffering to a greater life with him in eternity. And my prayer for you, brothers and sisters, is that you would truly visualize that promise. Not the one for greater and for more stuff, but the true gospel message and promise. That you would lay claim to that, to say through this Jesus Christ has rescued me. And that you would live that out for other people. Jesus calls us through sacrifice and suffering to a greater life in the name of Jesus. Amen.